0: what's up everyone this week on the pod i got nick jet uh the drummer of terror as well as the singer of piece by piece and uh engineer and all around just like uh kind of unspoken hardcore glue guy you know uh maybe an underrated mvp out there for all the uh the work he's done with so many different seminal bands as well as his own bands so uh we'll go into that interview um I interviewed, the first half of the interview I did when I started doing a terror project that you're going to hear next week. And then uh, I did a second half because I decided that uh, I didn't know how to tie in Nick's origin story into the terror pod. And then I was like, this is too good. Like, you know, you want to know about how Nick Chet got into punk and hardcore and his early shit. So we got to preserve it. And then, uh, so I decided to do a second half of the interview where we talk about all his non terror stuff. So we go into all the piece by piece stuff as well as a lot of his engineering stuff. Um, So that's coming up today. If you would like to support the podcast, please like rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, please subscribe to it as well. That means, uh, you know, it'll be there for you every Wednesday when it comes out. Um, If you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south and become a Patreon. Uh, these guys, they plunk down a little bit of their money, be it $1 or $5, $10 every month to uh, help support the podcast. And they are my personal heroes. The podcast would not exist without the Patreons. Uh, so check that out, patreon.com slash 185miles south. Um, and let's get on with the pod.
1: 185 miles south a hardcore punk rock podcast
0: all right uh well we'll see how we're gonna edit this but as of now we have nick jet from terror on the line yo what's up and uh what's up dude so the the start of the terror story is really you know it's the nick jet story Right, so because you're so formal, you and Todd and Scott starting the band. So I've already done Todd, and I already did Scott. Is their pre-terror stories and Todd's terror story? Yeah. So I wanted to start with you, Nick. Um, cool. How did you come across punk and hardcore, and how did you get into the type of music?
1: Um, it was it was actually through through my dad, who uh, he's he's a a drummer also, and he was kind of like in the in the 70s was kind of like into like all different types of stuff um he was playing in like he was living in Tennessee at the time and he was playing in like country groups uh rock groups and then he was exposed to like punk rock even in the 70s in Tennessee so like he he saw the sex pistols on their one and only U.S. tour in the 70s in Memphis so he was like one of their 10 shows that they played so oh, he yeah so when i was probably like 11 12 or something like that he he had played something like sex pistols or something like that and i was asking about it. i was like what is this and he was like oh you're interested in this and so he he kind of just started schooling me from the beginning just like here check this out giving me records and stuff like that and at that point I just like was just fully getting into music so I just you know just totally like latched on to all these things a lot of LA punk um my, when my dad moved to LA in the in the late 70s he uh he got to see like Fear and uh Circle Jerks and a lot of the like LA punk bands so that was stuff that that he really like really liked and So he was like, check this out. This is like L.A. punk. So that was my first exposure to it. And I didn't have any friends that were listening to it. It was more just kind of like my dad checking, you know, giving me stuff to check out. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. It was quite a few years before I met anybody like in school that was like listening to punk. But uh, yeah, gradually it was just like, you know, meeting like, oh, there's there's a guy with like, like spikes or like you know just like totally just like there's there's somebody that might listen to some of the same stuff as me so just kind of meeting people like that at school and then just kind of gradually forming a group group of guys and girls that were like into into punk rock and
0: stuff yeah and then when when do you uh start your first band and start playing drums in a band.
1: Yeah, so, like, the first, like, group of people that I met, they were, like, not big into punk, so they were, like, into different stuff, so we played, like, like, Jimi Hendrix covers and stuff like that. I was probably 12 at the time, um, and, young. and, like, Nirvana and stuff like that, so that was, like, obviously sure. huge then. Uh, yeah, so we just played, like, Nirvana and, like, Jimi Hendrix covers and and stuff like that. Um yeah, so it was a lot a lot of like playing with different people, like different bands, but like just playing like whatever everybody was into. So, you know, it, it was it definitely wasn't like a punk band at,
0: at any point until I started meeting, you know, some of these punk rock people. Sure. Sure. And then so what what is the first punk or hardcore band you do? Yeah, and how old are you?
1: Yeah, so I was like
0: I guess I was probably like four
1: 14 or something um okay there was I was just starting high school I guess um there was there was one guy that I went to like junior high school with that was like like we we kind of were both listening to punk stuff and then when we got into high school we met this other dude who played guitar um and then um I can't remember what the connection was but there we we started this band with a with a a girl on vocals and she wasn't really like into punk but like the three of us were and she just wanted to sing and uh-huh. she was kind of crazy so yeah we started this band called Blind Libido and it was kind of <laughs> like I don't even know like how to describe it it was kind of like maybe like descendants Mixed with like, I don't know, like maybe even like Offspring or something like that. It was kind of just like a weird 90s kind of poppy, kind of like wanting to be punk kind of band. So, yeah. Sure, taking a stab. Yeah, sure. So that was, yeah, so that was probably like the first punk ish type of band.
0: And did that band record at all?
1: Yeah, so like back then there was like, you know, I'm sure you know, it's like, you know, trying to get something recorded at that point, it was like, you either had money, and you're like, you know, were able to get into a, a studio, or it was like, you're recording with your friend or somebody you knew, or you recorded, you figured out how to record yourself. So that was kind of like, my introduction into like doing like recording stuff too. So I just you know, bought like a four track and we just like started experimenting like recording stuff. So, yeah. So, like I did all the re- recordings just kind of like total ghetto style on cassette four tracks and pretty much any kind of weird microphones we can get our hands on, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that's fascinating that you start that early with the interest of wanting to record.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was so. like, yeah. we. I mean, we didn't have any money or, th- or anything. So, it was like... Let's, I could, I could, I think like the first four track thing I bought was like literally like a hundred dollars. So it was kind of like, just like literally like just saving up, like, you know, you know, some allowance from some chores or something like that. Like, all right, we got like $119, we can afford this like four track and, you know, so that was kind of,
0: yeah. Yeah. And do you still have those recordings?
1: Yeah. I mean... I I Oh that's sick. I want to I want to get all this stuff transferred cuz obviously like all the you know all the tape and and everything isn't going to last forever so I I'd, I'd like to get all the stuff digitized at some point but yeah. I just have like boxes of like these tapes, four tracks and you know all types of shit recorded from
0: back then. Yeah, Armo can do it for you. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, he he's been doing a bunch of that stuff for us. But uh, awesome. That's super cool. And so so, do you do that band? Is it last? Is it just like a high school thing, like where it, it lasts about three months, but it feels like a few years?
1: That band lasted like a couple years, surprisingly, because like, nice. yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was just like, I think because the like the the two other guys that were in the band with me, like we were such close friends that it was kind of like these are my boys. Like we're into punk rock. I mean, I really didn't meet like any other really influential people at least for a couple years that, you know, that I wanted to, like, start bands with or anything. So, that, like, yeah, we did that band for a couple years. And, like, it was, like, a thing where, like, literally just playing house parties, like, every weekend. Sure. Like, yeah, I think we ended up playing, like, the Roxy one time. Nice. Like, a pay-to-play kind of thing where, like, you have to, you sure, have to sell sure. 150 tickets, but you can play. Wow. You can open up at 7 o'clock
0: for this you know, like band or whatever. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So, what does the band you do after this?
1: Uh, so yeah, so that band like kind of fell apart, and um, we met this dude who was like um, kind of friends with the chick that was like singing in the band, um, mm-hmm. and he was he was the first like straight edge dude that I met. And so we formed a band with him and it was like all the same guys in the band. And we just replaced the singer with this dude and started this different band. And, uh, so that he was like just big into like minor thread. And so he, he was a little bit older and, um, yeah, he, he exposed me like a lot of new band, like bands I'd never heard before. Like I'd never heard minor thread at that point. So that, you mm-hmm. know, so that was huge. Um, yeah, but he was like a straight edge dude. He was like full into it. And we started that band. That band was called Standoff. And okay. uh Yeah, I mean, that band was like definitely like one of those, yeah, just like a few months kind of thing. But okay. but, but yeah, it was pretty like I guess it was pretty important because that was like felt like I was kinda like, you know, it was like my introduction into hardcore. It was like are we a hardcore band or are we just a punk rock band kind of thing?
0: Yeah. yeah. The lines are the lines are being drawn a little bit in your Yeah, head. sure. Yeah. Is that dude still around at all? You no.
1: Know, I mean I I ended up like yeah, I have no idea. I haven't like seen him or heard heard from him in probably like literally probably like eighteen years or something like that. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I don't know. Okay. So what is the band uh, that you do after this then?
1: Yeah. So pretty much like after that, like that's, so I met, um, uh, this dude, Sean, Sean Grine mm-hmm. and he, we we were at the same high school together and he was like the first dude that I met, like, all right, this is a hardcore kid, like full, like full on. And, there, and it it was just him and there was, a, he was friends with this other dude, Adam. Um, and they both went to the same high school as me and they were, uh, I think a year or two older. Um, but they were like full on, like we're hardcore kids and this is like what we listened to. So I started a band yeah. with them and I was actually, I played bass in this band. Okay. And so Sean's a drummer okay. and, um, yeah the band was called fistful um
0: that's the that would have been the band I saw, yeah in. yeah,
1: this was definitely that band, yeah okay so
0: so and in, in this band you actually play you start playing like shows in the scene,
1: yeah, yeah, so like the singer who he was like this dude anthony, um he's actually been in a a bunch of bands, he's like still plays in bands um but he was from the area. He was he was older than us, out of high school. But he was like, so he 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 knew a lot of people. And one of the things is is he had a full on like um, soundproofed like practice spot built in his garage. So nice. like like we practiced there, but also like he let other bands practice there. So that was like. So like all these hardcore kids were like, oh, could we, you know, could we practice at your spot, kind of thing. And so that was like, like literally, like that that spot was the connection to like meeting like the carry on guys for the first time. Um, Just because you'd show up and there'd be other bands there and you'd meet dudes or whatever, or you know, they'd be like, oh, can we get on that show and stuff
0: like that. Yeah, do you do you remember do you remember meeting Ryan or Todd the first time?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I met I met Todd and Corey at that rehearsal spot at that dude's house. Um and that would have been like I don't know, probably like ninety ninety-eight or something like that. Um okay. they were showing up, like, not practicing with carry on, but they were like I don't know, I don't know what bands they were playing or maybe they were just jamming or like trying to form a band or something like that. But, uh, Mm -hmm. but they, yeah, they were, they were showing up to like, to jam and whatever. And it was like, it was definitely like one of those things that like, you know, like I had like heard about Carry On and I knew a a little bit about them and I knew that they were like the band kind of from the area. Um... At, at this point, I guess Todd and and Corey, well I don't know if Todd had officially like moved to L.A., but I think that like Corey had like kind of lived in the L- L.A. area at this point. So they were kind of like in L.A. They were kind of like, oh, they're. F- I thought they were like an L.A. band, kind of like you know when I first heard about them and kind of associated well,
0: them with yeah, being from L.A. Yeah, well, they all they all moved there right around that time. Yeah. So probably probably ninety nine ish around them. Yeah. They're no longer a, a Tuscadero band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, a, or wherever that area is. So see me these dudes and then how how do you end up joining Carry On? You join you join after they do the LP, correct?
1: Yeah, so like yeah, they so I remember like when the 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 self titled Seven Inch came out. Mm-hmm. and at that point i i'd already kind of became somewhat like friends with mainly with Corey at first he was he was definitely like like it's weird because he's only like four years older than me but like i could consider him like the like hardcore dad in the scene he was like the dude that he has, was,
0: he has that vibe yeah right? totally he has that vibe right
1: and I, I i always like reference him when i'm talking about like like different scenes different cities there's like always kind of like the dude in the scene that's like kind of the dad that kind of like dads everybody in the best way possible like kind of shows them the way in all the right ways and if they're like fucking up or Mm -hmm. doing something wrong like hey don't do that like but he's also like the dude that like will pick you up and take you to shows and like expose you to like all the you know records and everything like that so for me that was like this dude was like oh you got to come to the show come to the show or like um here take these seven inches like he would just give me seven inches and stuff like that so yeah i remember like Corey giving me like carry on seven inches and he gave me the the self-titled seven inch and for me that was like like the thing that sold me on carry on i was like all right now this is like my favorite band, like this is like, you know, like to me at the time it was like this is the best thing I've like ever heard. Like this is fucking awesome. So
0: yeah, and that's the fir- that's the first one that Todd writes. Yeah,
1: songs so on. yeah, so Todd had kind of started writing and 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 I mean, even if you listen to those seven inches now, I mean, like, you could really like to me like that seven inch still kind of stands the test of time. Like it's really like the sound of Carry On kind of, like, really, like, got solidified on that record. Totally. Um But, yeah, so it was, like, I heard, I heard heard those, that record, and then um I knew, I was going to, like, Carry On shows all the time at that point, and they were, like, always kind of having different dudes fill in, it seemed like. I feel like every time yeah. I saw them, it was, like, different dudes, like, you know, like... Like, playing bass or or playing drums. Um, so, yeah, I knew that they were, like, out east recording. And I was talking to, like, Corey. And then Sean had become really good. Sean uh, from uh, Sean Grimes. He had become really good friends with Corey also. So, he was, like, kind of talking me up to Corey. Like, because, like... Uh, their drummer, the carry-on's drummer at the time was like, I can't remember like why he was like, he had to like leave the band or didn't want to do the band, but there was just kind of like a rumor like, oh, he's not going to like be in the band there and they might need a drummer kind of thing. Well, he lived fully out of state. Yeah, too, yeah. He was right? like he was not from, from there. He
0: he's, yeah, he's either in Seattle or he was in Vancouver. Yeah. I can't remember which.
1: So I don't, I don't really know if like you know if like I, I I guess I never really heard the full like story like why he left the band or or why that you know didn't wear out. But it, I guess what came of that was just like oh there's like might be potentially like a spot playing drums. And I was like you know like heard about that and and Sean was like talking to to Todd and 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 Corey were like yo. I know like you saw this guy play bass because they only i think they only saw me play bass like for fistful at at some shows they're like but he could play drums he's like he's you know this dude could play drums he's like a punk rock dude he could play fast and um so like yeah like when they came back from recording i think it was pretty pretty much like right away where like i remember like getting like a phone call from those guys like hey would you be like interested in trying out and um so yeah i did like a like a tryout kind of thing with like it was just me and todd jamming at like a rehearsal studio like in north hollywood and it how had, nervous were you oh super super nervous you know it was like because at this point carry-on's like my favorite band and Todd is like definitely an, an intense dude, so you're like you know if you're just like a little kid, like at this point I was like still eighteen, I guess, maybe okay. maybe graduated from high school. I guess I had just graduated something like that, but I was just like, yeah, super nervous, um but I played these song uh, like I, I think he gave me like a they gave me like a few songs. To learn they're like learn these three songs or something like that so I just like you know just fucking played the shit out of those three songs like in my bedroom like had my drum set set up and just played to like headphones like over and over again played to these like few songs so I like I felt confident that I could like play the stuff but it was still like super super nerve-wracking it was like you know like I don't know what these dudes are gonna you know think of me or whatever and so I got there and and it was only Todd and, (laughs) and I was like, okay, like this dude's like super intense and, um, yeah, Todd's like, I think he's only like a year older than me, but it just felt like this dude was like 10 years older than me kind of thing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know Todd that well at that point. I'd only like probably talked to him or You know, definitely wasn't, like... I wouldn't consider him, like, a friend at that point. It was kind of just, like, an acquaintance. I was friends... I would say I was Mm -hmm. friends with Corey at that point. But, like, Todd, like, definitely not. It was just kind of, like... I know, like, you know... Heard about this dude. Like, I've already, like, kind of heard stories about the dude. Like, he's crazy. Like, he throws his guitars, like, through, you know, like... Just, like wild kind of wild stories like i was like okay this dude's like you know intense obviously you know but uh
0: yeah he he had a little temper
1: yeah 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 so like yeah the i mean like the jam with him like went really well like i think we had, we just played through the songs like maybe even just like one time he was just like like it was definitely like a right away thing he was like all right cool like um He's like are you straight edge and i was like and at this point so like i've never like done any drugs i can like, I never never drank never like like tried like never even smoked a cigarette like I'd, I'd never done anything my whole life so at this point like i was like what i wasn't calling myself like straight edge but i was like i felt like like i'm straight edge because i'm not doing any of this stuff and obviously i'm listening to straight edge records and everything and sure. I guess I just like I didn't know enough straight edge dudes at this point to like feel like I was like a part of a group or anything like that. So I just never like started calling myself like straight edge. And uh, that was like the first like the first moment where it was like, so uh, are you straight edge? I just remember talking like, so you straight edge? And I was like, yeah, I'm straight edge. And like, I was like, "All right, I guess I'm straight edge now," kind of thing. <laughs> Don't break the old. Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. You're you know? in. You're in now. Yeah, and I yep. mean, at this point, like, after that, after I started playing in Carry On, it was like I got exposed to all these, all these people that were like in the kind of L.A. Oxnard, um, Ventura County, like scene i mean i just like at that point it was like i met so many people and ended up meeting like you know like all these like a lot of people that ended up being becoming like lifelong friends you know people that i still talk to now so that was like yeah it was pretty 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 big like moment just like getting exposed to like the real like i actually felt like i was a part part of the scene at that point But yeah, but there was tons of straight edge kids also. I felt like almost like felt like like almost everybody was straight edge. Like everybody you met, like it was like all right, like a lot of those dudes were straight edge, and it was just kind of like this group of people around like like the carry on, uh, the band, and everything.
0: Yeah, well, it was huge because you had you had two different pretty big straight edge scenes because you had like the whole like like, the Indecision record bands that would play, like, the Showcase and so forth, like, Adamantium, sure. Throwdown, yeah. and, like, you know, 18 Visions. Like, those, I think they were Straight Edge, too, at some point. They were, like, hardline. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and then the, like, all that Floor Punch stuff, it hit out here a little late. Yeah. You know, like, it started there in, like, 95, and it hit out here in, like, 97-ish. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you had, like, everyone that was into, like, the MIIS and the Floor Punches and so forth. Totally, so, yep. yeah. Yeah, that, that going all the way up into... Uh, you know, the year two thousand, the straight edge thing was huge. Totally, yeah, like big, big. So, how many shows do you play with Carry On? Like, you're there after they do the LP.
1: Yeah, you well,
0: you do two East Coast tours. I only
1: I only went only once. went to the East Coast once with them. Um, okay. Yeah, so I like I can't remember when they actually recorded the the LP, but I was pretty much in the band right like kind of right when they got back from recording that so right away it was like here's a rough mix of the record like learn these songs and we just started playing shows like like i want to say i maybe even played my first show with carry on like less than a month after like jamming with todd and yeah we just played like just weekend like it was tons of like just weekend little like weekend tours like on the west coast um we did stuff with, like, American Nightmare. Um, kind of just, like, a lot of... Yeah, like, the first step. I remember doing, like, like a weekend with them. Um, just, like, a lot of stuff when bands... Like, a lot of East Coast bands coming out to the West Coast. And we would just do, like, you know, like, the California shows with them. Or, or whatever it was. Like, regional stuff. Um, sure. Yeah, so we did... Yeah, I mean, this this was also, I remember, like, when I first started getting exposed, like, we played with Life's Halt and No Reply, and that mm-hmm. that was, like, a whole nother kind of scene. I mean, it was still connected. Like, everybody in Carry On was, like, friends with, like, those dudes and those bands, but this was, like, the first time that I kind of realized there was kind of, like, this other kind of, like, punk hardcore scene that I would... I was super into at the time. So a lot of those bands we played with. Um, And uh, yeah, so the East Coast tour I did with Carry On was kind of like the record release tour. Uh, And I want to say that was like in October of 2001. And it was kind of like this Bridge Nine Total Bridge Nine tour. It was like um, that band, The Hope Conspiracy, uh, sure. Death Threat, No Warning, and Carry On, something like that. Okay. And it was like ten days on the East Coast. We played like that, like Back to School Jam, in in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was that was kind of like the the biggest tour that I did with them um but yeah so that was like we played CBGBs on that tour which is like was super insane um and this was like a few weeks after 911 kind of thing too so it was like super unreal being in New York City um just a few yeah. weeks after 911 and yeah, like um, uh, my my dad flew out to go to the CBGB show because he was like, he was uh, like, "Holy shit, so you are playing CBGBs! Like, I am fucking going to New York, kind of thing." So I remember he he flew yeah. out and we were hanging out like before the show, and he's like, "I have to take a shit like like I want I want to take a shit at at the toilet in CBGBs, kind
0: of thing." Yes, and so we went yes. like. And
1: you've been to CBGBs before? You guys played there?
0: Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we played in 03. Sick.
1: Yeah, so you know like like the toilet like doesn't have like a door or anything and it's kind of like down the stairs in the back. I don't know if you kind of remember yeah, that totally. kind of like area but yeah. you like come down the stairs and you just like see the toilet right there like and there's no door or anything. So yeah, my yep. dad was like I have to take a shit at CBGBs. That was like a thing he wanted to do. What's the most famous toilet in America? Yeah, straight up. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, playing CBGBs was like, you know, a huge thing. And yeah, like, um, I remember Corey couldn't do that tour because he was, he had like all these back problems. I don't know. He had back surgery like shortly after that, I want to say, or something. Something happened okay. where Corey couldn't do the tour and, um, John Westbrook played um guitar on that tour, yeah, um, yeah well we we came back from that tour we played a couple shows and we ended up playing a show at the troubadour in Hollywood with uh, um, there was that there was this tour that was like a, a full u s tour but we just played a couple shows, but it was like. I think we played in Ojai and then we played at the Troubadour with uh, Converge, Hope Conspiracy, and American Nightmare or something like that. But we played the Troubadour and that was like, I want to say the next day was like, I got a call from Corey. He was like, he's like, Carry on's done, fuck this shit. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, that's when I kind of found out about everything. Like, I definitely, you know, had no idea up to that point. I was kind of just like this, kind of still like the new guy of the band or whatever. And just like, sure. So I think Corey found out that, that Ryan had broke edge or or whatever. And then he just like, fuck this shit. And fucking broke up the band
0: or whatever. Yeah, that was that was the end of it. Because, yep. uh, I mean, Todd talked on the interview on here. If people want to go listen to it, they can go back. Um, he basically found out, I think either right before or on that tour that Ryan wasn't straight edge anymore and, and he didn't know how to deal with it. And he, he didn't tell Corey either. And he says, that's like one of his biggest regrets is like kind of holding that. From yeah. Him. So I can, I can understand why Corey was pretty upset. Yeah. Um, so how long, how long after that, do you, how long after that do you get a call from Todd that he wants to start something new?
1: It was, like I want to, I mean, if looking back, I mean, I want to feel like, I feel like it was like literally, like a week later or something like that. Like it was very and is it was very short afterwards. Sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and the band after is that the Vengeance band that you do for a split second or is it the beginning of Terror? Uh,
1: no. So I I actually never played in Vengeance, but I I yeah. recorded I recorded their demo, and okay. I might have helped out with some shit, but like. Yeah, I never played in the band, but yeah, I don't know. I couldn't remember the time. I can't remember the
0: timeline of that because it didn't really come yeah, out. Yeah,
1: there was like um, I want to say like when Carry On like split up. It was kind of just like chaos. Like it was like every there was just all these like all the people in Carry On just like started new bands like right away. So yeah. uh, I think like like I was I did a band the band with Corey. We started piece by piece like. Right around that time, and then I think, like, I think because me and Corey were doing that, I think Todd wanted to, like, I don't know if that I mean, I'm probably got that wrong, that's probably not the reason why, but I think he just wanted to do an, another band right away, and so I think vengeance happened around that same time, also.
0: So, in 2002, you obviously a, a giant life moment of yours is joining terror, but 2002 is a wild fucking year for you because in my opinion, you do two other giant things. Um, one is you start piece by piece. And the second one is you really come into your own um, as an engineer. And I want to, what I want to do is do a little sidebar on that um, before we go into piece by piece. Um, sure. So in, in 0 two, the first thing that, well, other than doing like terror demo stuff and, and jamming around with Todd, what are some of the early projects you did before you did the annihilation time LP? Um I mean that might have been it's hard to tell what is the
1: like kind of the first thing cuz I did like uh like the knife fight demo um and yeah the terror demo right around then um so it's hard to I like, hard to remember what what was like the first thing but um before that I mean it was really just I was kind of recording literally anybody just, you know, some like punk rockers that I knew from, you know, from, from uh the neighborhood or whatever that would just hit me up. And it was just totally kind of random, but nothing really notable, I guess until like 2002 when, um, yeah, the annihilation time LP, uh, and I think knife fight terror and, um, Think another thing I did in 2002 was that uh, that band Stand and Fight. Yes, yes. Or, the, or eventually they changed their name to Stand and Fight, but they were Impact before that, right? So I did their demo, which is the singer from Ten Yard Fight. Um, yes, yeah. So it all kind of just like started to kind of I, I I started getting a bunch of people hitting me up um, just because I kind of m- met a bunch of people through through Carry On and. Yeah, I just had a little, you know, studio at my house. And at that at that time, it was kind of hard to find somewhere to record. So I just ended up getting a lot of kind of cool, cool projects coming in.
0: Yeah, because you really come out the gate there in, in 02 with like... That's all like good, classic California stuff, you know? And so... And then take, yeah. taking on the Annihilation Time LP, that's like... It's a big deal. Like, that's a band that, you know, they really cared about and they really... They kind of started something that, uh, you know, it's lasted until this day in Oxnard, like that heavy blast influence. Um, sure, yeah. So, so you do this LP. Um It's the first time, obviously, you've done, like, an LP that's going to come out on a label and so forth. Was there any added pressure on you opposed to, like, doing a demo?
1: Not really because, I mean, at the time, I don't even really remember if there was a plan that it was coming out on a label. It was kind of like... More like, hey, we, you know, we want to record these nine, nine, ten songs. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't even a thing like, oh, hey, we're recording an LP. We want you to do it kind of thing. It was more like, hey, can we come in and record these nine tracks? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had met Fred and, uh, and Graham. Um, and so I knew those guys. And I also kind of knew uh, Tony on drums he was he's uh it's todd's cousin right i think
0: yep todd's cousin
1: yeah and uh yeah so uh, i mean i knew those guys so they just hit me up hey you know we want to book some days so we can come in and record these you know nine ten tracks yeah so cool
0: and tony was a ripper uh he still is he yeah, plays he... and everything but at that time i mean like those those years when he like you know, it's always it's always interesting. Like when a drummer gets really good, you know, you go from like an average mm-hmm. drummer to like a good drummer. Like that, that jump is sure. always like it's an impressive time. You know,
1: yeah, he was he was really good. I mean, um, I think you know some of these records that we were talking about around that time. I think a lot of them turned out cool because everybody could really play. Um, and they yeah. had a really unique style, so. So Tony was one of those dudes that he was super solid, just like really in the pocket, like solid drummer. Um, so yeah, I mean, he just like totally nailed it. I think he even did some vocals on on a song or two, and
0: he was good on that. Um, yeah, probably. He's like one of those all-around guys, right? Like he's, he's someone that went from like never playing guitar to being able to play like no effects over the summer, you know? Yeah. Just by noodling. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, super cool. cool. So that that's a rad LP to like come out the gate with, and then uh, so I, I just got some notables written down that I wanted to go through because sure. uh, we don't talk about Corey enough on the podcast. You do uh, internal affairs, casual yeah. and core in 'O three. Yep, um, super super cool record. And did you kind of did you work with them throughout everything? Because you that's another unique thing about you, um, like. You kind of like nurtured Vendetta. You put out one of the records, and then you—I re- think—did you record one? But you definitely helped them. Like they kind of like sure. they considered you kind of like a mentor, and then later, definitely take offense feels about you that way. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. With with Vendetta, I just remember
1: meeting them um, at at these shows. Uh, I mean, I can't remember what show it was or anything, but uh, they were just younger kids. I think they were like 15, 16 at the time and they were just starting and yeah, so we kind of became buddies and then when they were ready to record, they they hit me up. So I I think I recorded their demo. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first time like we actually kind of got to hang out and really spend some time together. So I think from then we kind of kind of just kind of built a real, real friendship and I always stayed in touch with them, um, and so they kind of kept me in the loop whenever they were doing a new record. So uh, when they recorded the, I can't even remember the name of the record now. The yeah, because they the, did the, the one that they I did the
0: first one on Scott's label,
1: and you did the second one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. So um, Takeover Records did that, and then I can't remember the, the name of the, their second seven inch that I that I put out, but I just remember getting them. Um, Uh, a cop like a cdr copy of it they they had it didn't have a plan for releasing it or anything i think they they just paid for the recording themselves and they didn't really know what they're going to do and i just heard it and i was like this is awesome i love it and you know we're really you know really like the guys already anyway so yeah from there i was like i'd love to like you know start a label with this and just you know let this kind of be like you know, if I'm going to do a label, this would be an awesome, like, first release. Yeah. And they were super into it. And yeah, yeah, I, I think we just, like, we, we were just, like, became bros and they were a little bit younger than me. And um, I don't know. We just, you know, even now, whenever I see Andrew, it's just like, it's just, like, really cool to catch up and, um, you know, stay good friends.
0: Yeah. Uh, th- through all this. Yeah, so for internal affairs, um I'll hash out the story, I gotta have Corey on at some point. But uh Sure. So I'm assuming that, you know, you you kinda start piece by piece and tear at the same time, and then Terra just out the gate, you guys are gone. Um, touring all the time, et cetera. And this is probably why he wants to do another band other than just piece by piece. Plus like dude's a fucking natural front man, right? Like how did he? Yeah. How is he? Bit he was in hardcore for over ten years and didn't sing in a band, so finally gets a chance. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, was, yeah. So totally. he, he does internal affairs, and you do this record. Do you remember anything about recording it? Um, not really.
1: I <laughs> I, I think all the internal affairs records and recording set that kind of um. I can't really remember the seven inch. So I'm, I'm kind of remembering like the demo and the seven inch yeah. in one, one session. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I just remember like hearing his voice for the first time and thinking like, whoa, that's what you sound like. <laughs> like it was so <laughs> crazy sounding. Yeah, And I was like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the, he didn't spend a lot of time, um, you know, really trying to like, Perfect the songs or anything. He just wanted it to have this like raw energy and and um, so a lot of things like we ended up just kind of finishing in the studio too, like or even writing songs. I think we wrote you know whole entire songs um, just in the studio. Like all right, we have five songs. We need another two songs. Let's write a couple songs and we just we would write them right then and there and then record them. Um. Yeah, so I I have those uh kind of memories. And then I, and then when we did the the Deadly Visions mm-hmm. record um I believe that was the first or one of the first things that I did on in Pro Tools. So that was kind of like getting used to like recording in a digital platform. I think I did um that record and the, the Down Again yeah LP Shout out Rick that those were like the first two things I did like,
0: uh, on pro tools instead of on the tape machine. Yeah. And you also put out the down again. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. Um, another one that I think is really cool is you've engineered or helped produce all three Rodney now LPs. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: One of Street Prowl, I didn't do any technical stuff on it. I did a little bit of Um right before they went into the studio, I got together with Walter and we almost did this like really like hyper, like real real quick uh pre pro kinda of day where I just went over all the songs with him. He had it everything they had everything finished, uh and he was just kinda like You know, if you have any last minute ideas, um, maybe we can go over some stuff. So on that record, I just did did that with him where we wrote a couple like guitar leads and and maybe shortened some things and kind of worked out maybe some structure ideas. And then I and then I just kind of like just gave him my two cents, gave him my ideas. And then, you know, the next next week they went into the studio and they ended up using some of the ideas but the other, the other records, it was a full on like um, production where we were like, I went in with them for a couple weeks of doing some pretty deep like pre-production where we we're like really working on the songs and working out all the kinks and details of the, the structures and vocal patterns and everything. Um, so for the second or the second and the third LP, I did a lot more than
0: that first one. Yeah, were you able to tell like from the beginning of cuz obviously they were a band before Walter sang um with the other dude I, I apologize for yeah. forgetting his name. Um and they were mm-hmm. they were a pretty good band. But like as soon as Walter comes in like it just kind of it turns into a pretty special band. Were you were you able to see that like out the gate?
1: Yeah, that was like I I had seen Rotting out uh without Walter on vocals um and it it didn't yeah it didn't really like hit me hard and then I remember seeing them uh maybe at chain reaction or something this first time seeing them with him on vocals and it was just it was just a whole nother a whole nother band it just like changed the whole vibe and and he's such like a such a good front man I was like wow this is like now it really like really feels like something special and he right. was like he's so like passionate and and intense on stage i was like yeah this is awesome and i just love seeing like from la like five like hispanic dudes on stage just like ripping it i like i just i, I thought that that was like this is this is a band that should tour the world and be like we're a we're a la hardcore band you know like really represent like what la is
0: about yeah and playing like stripped down aggressive hardcore and then being so sure, popular, yeah. it's 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 amazing The level of confidence that they exude on the new record is amazing like when you listen to all the tracks it just feels like almost like they're writing them knowing that like almost every track like to a song is gonna be a hit yeah cool it's super yeah glad that comes across yeah um the other band that you've you've really helped out like throughout their their journey was take offense um you didn't engineer the first record, the first LP, but you were with them mm-hmm. a lot. You spent a lot of time with them, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. They were just another one of those bands where I remember seeing them... Well, I remember seeing Down Again play at the uh, Skate Street.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And I don't remember who they played with, but they played early, opening up a show there. And um, something like something like something was there. I was like, all right, I got, I got to like meet these guys or talk to them. So I remember like talking to a couple of them and, and, and bought their demo, um, at that show. And, and then obviously ended up, uh, after that, working with them and doing the record. But yeah, we, we just kind of totally developed like a really cool friendship and just re- related on a lot of things and just the styles that we liked and just the mentality about things. And, and I mean, you know those guys they're just like they're just like the most down to earth just really just cool, humble guys um so there's not really anything bad you could say about them just as people and then on top of that, you know they have these bands that are just like so cool and um yeah, so hearing the the take offense uh I guess it's the I think they did like a couple
0: songs after I'm trying to get the their discography. They do a um, demo where, they do a demo, they do uh, a split with PC Death Squad, and then they do that PC okay. Death Seven Inch. And th- yeah. that's, that's when their sound like hones in okay. to like what Take offense is.
1: Exactly, yeah. So like like Walks of Life is on, yes. on that seven inch. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like hearing that, I'm like, all right, this is um this is definitely right up my alley. Like I like a lot of like the like punk bands that like cross over to like thrash metal almost. Like I love I love that progression. Like really like punk influenced like hardcore that turns into a more crossover metal. Right. Um it's just a really cool mesh of styles. So they were they were doing that. Um, and yeah, so after that, I think they did like a two song s-
0: something or what is that? Is that what you're saying? The, the split with PC d- Des- I, think, I think the PC was right before the, 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 the next one, like the super short one that was on Collins mm-hmm. label who does standards records now, uh, happiness and chains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So those I mean, songs, I think. Those songs ended up on the their LP after that also, I think. Yeah. So just like hearing those songs, I was just like, I love this band. I love these guys. And they're like I just wanted to be um a part of whatever they're doing. And if, you know, obviously I, I'm I'm never like I guess when I'm like I never I never really hit bands up like, hey, like, I'd love to produce your record or like you know, I, I, I never, I never want to like offer, uh, I, I always like it when a, like a, a band is interested in, in, and doing something with me if they want me to kind of help them or, or work on producing or whatever. I always, always like when, uh, a, a band comes m- my way and asks me about it. So I never really wanted to like pressure them into like, you know, I'd love to like produce a record for you or something, um. But I, I wanted to do that with them because I just knew that like I just had cool ideas and I just I just wanted I wanted people to to hear hear that band and hear them in the best possible way. So it's like if anything I could do to kind of help help that um, their sound and, and um, style kind of come across in the right way, I was like I'd love to be a part of it. And luckily, like they hit me up about doing. the um, their their ep um with uh with reaper records after they did their lp and we did some really cool stuff on that record and yeah since then i think really like we had a we just worked really well together and, and they obviously had a bunch of cool ideas and they they liked my ideas too so since then we've kind of just been able to like yeah, kind of work on work on these records together, and um, I've been super super psyched to be a part of it, and I, I still think they're like the best band in the
0: in the country. They're like by far like my favorite. Yeah, I love them, and and the new LP is ridiculous, but but yeah, that's what yeah. I that's what I thought was so awesome, and and that's a story that I want told of your life is like that some of these bands really do seek you out. Um, For your ideas, because anyone that knows Greg knows that Greg is like a full on juggernaut. That's like, you know, he's like a walking dictionary, and he's also very opinionated. You know, and he's also as skilled as anyone on earth. So, like, for him to like want to come to you for ideas, like, it really says something.
1: Yeah, I I think I think he's getting a little. he, He probably doesn't need my help as much anymore. But one of the things that that he would struggle with was kind of putting a structure together. Because he would just have, like, 15 of the most insane riffs you've ever heard just piled on top of each other. And it would... You could tell all the riffs were sick. You're like, this riff's sick, this riff is sick. Um, But, like, the dynamics weren't there. So it was, like, like, maybe... You know, if we didn't have fifteen riffs, maybe we have only eight riffs in this song. And then maybe like this riff that's that that we like the most. You know, if this kind of becomes the becomes the the main riff of the song, you know, maybe we need to showcase it a little bit better. And you know, uh, you know, the riff or the part before it needs to come down a little bit. So when that that riff that's the real special riff kicks in, it's like, you know, it it, it really. It, you know, it really shines and and stuff like that. So, I think that's kind of what I've been able to to bring um, is just kind of helping them structure things a little bit better and just showcase their style like in the in the best way. And same same thing with age too. Like he's so he, he's one of those people that I I I love to hear all of his ideas before I even chime in at all. Because most of the stuff that he comes up with is, like, is so cool and so interesting. Like, it'll be the opposite of, like, what my instincts would be to, like, do with a part. Mm -hmm. So I always always get super excited, like, hearing what he comes up with um, from the get-go. Like, most of the time I'll be like, all right, 90% of that is, like, insane. Like, I would, I'm so glad you kind of, you came up with something like that. It's so cool for this part. Um, let's just work on this to like tighten this up or maybe we could make this pop a little bit more or maybe we could come up with a more hooky, you know, chorus thing or something like that. But yeah, all those guys, I mean, they're like super, super creative and really original, just like have really original, cool,
0: different ideas. Yeah, I got so lucky with H because uh, they had just done the new LP and then I had them do a verse on the new retaliate record. And to get Sick. to to get to see him in the studio like you know, coming off like how he'd just been in the studio, you know, your your confidence is is higher than like the first sure. day yeah. the first day of the studio when you're like, Oh fuck, I hope I'm gonna sound good. You know, yeah. and like just to see him lay down this verse that like you said, it was like nothing I would have come up with is is actually completely the opposite of my verse. Um yeah. which is really cool. And then just to see him work it and like work it and work it and like know he can get it better like i can't i can't do it like that like i'm just so stoked that it's like good and done you know but to, yeah
1: yeah to be there you'll like like, do you'll do one take and be like all right like that's that's good like i don't know if i can get it any better he's right. like, he's like kind of the opposite to where he'll do a take the first time and you're like whoa that, that's awesome yeah. and he'll be like let me keep doing it let me keep doing it and you yeah. just see him kind of you'll see it develop and, and just bring in more character here and there, or just the dynamic will kind of change and you'll just see him like kind of nail it after, you know, three or four takes as he really kind of works it out in his head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've just never seen a singer that was so self-aware like that to like know where he could push himself to, you know? Yeah, totally. So super cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about in your engineering career was doing the uh, the Strife comeback LP, the Witness of Rebirth, that had to be like super rad for you because you were a big fan of the band. Um, in fact, before Terror, I, I saw one of your bands covered Strife, so True. Like, so that has to be so sick to like be asked by a band that you know over ten years before you had covered, and now you're going to engineer like basically their comeback record.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really cool and nerve-wracking in a lot of ways um yeah there was like there was definitely a point where I felt like I was recording just like a lot of friends and it and stuff that like I felt really comfortable with um and then there was projects that I ended up working on where I felt like I needed to like perform like I needed to bring bring something and I felt intimidated in a way working with especially like a a band like strife that it was so established and had such a you know long um resume and just their records their previous records are just you know they're they're big awesome records and i just you know if if i'm gonna produce and and record this next strife record i mean it's gotta like it's gotta live up to something so i felt obviously you felt some um some pressure and intimidated g- going into that um, at the same time I'd, I'd become really good friends with Andrew from strife so I felt really comfortable working with him and we did a lot of the the writing um, and arranging um, together so that was really comfortable uh, working out all the demos and and stuff with him um, yeah, and then it got intimidating again once we started tracking the record because then it's like, all right, well now we got to kind of work with all these other dudes that that I don't really know very well, and I have to, you know, prove to them that I know what I'm doing or that I have that my ideas are going to be, you know, are going to work or are going to sound cool, um, and then and then going right into the recording of it the. Uh, we found out or andrew hits me up he's like oh uh he's like i got uh uh igor from Sepultura is down to record on the record he wants he wants to play drums on the record and i'm like holy shit like yeah no uh, pressure loves yeah exactly you know so and on top of that he's like all right and he's like would you be willing to go to brazil to record he lives in sao paulo we could, you know, go down there, just the two of us meet up with him and record the drums down there. So I'm like, I'm like, let's do it, you know? Um, so it was like, that was pretty intense going into it, but, uh, he was such a, Igor was such a cool dude. He was like so laid back, really chill, really, really nice guy. That he made you feel comfortable. It wasn't a, a weird, tense situation, um, and it, and working with working with different people over the years. Kind of like we were talking about with Ah, you. It's really cool working with people that have their own style and the way they do things. And working with somebody for the first time that has such a different way of doing things. You kind of like. It's so interesting and so cool. Um, so going in the studio with him for the first time, we, we we didn't know if he had listened to any of the demos. So we didn't know if he had heard any of the songs or anything. And we actually kind of assumed that he didn't. So we're like, all right, we might have to teach him the songs or he'll just have to learn learn the songs in the studio. And, and that's what happened. He's like, all right, uh, we got in there and he's like, all right, just just play play one of the songs. And and he just listened to it probably seven or eight times and he just started making these notes. And he was just writing on this um uh piece of paper and kind of making all these notes. And then he's like, All right, cool, let's go jam it. And so I finally like, kind of saw what he had written and and he had just pretty much uh written out the structure of the song. But he he used references that that made sense to him to remember each part. Um, so a song might say like maybe the verse reminded him of something weird like you didn't even really get understand his reference. But it might say for the verse it might say Nirvana, and then it might say I don't know Rain and Blood for the chorus or something. Right. And then he would have all these like fill like fills written in. And stuff, so he'd like built this whole structure. It was the structure of the song, but he, he wrote it out in, it, in this way that he could understand it, and that he could remember, like, "Oh, I'm going to do a roll right here and everything." And um, yeah, I'd, I'd just never seen somebody kind of analyze a song and then put it, put it on paper like that, and then just go in and play the song. And he just pretty much one, uh, just playing through it one time, he'd, you know, he had he'd already had the song down. So I was like, all right, this is this is gonna be a cool project. We weren't worried at that point. We're like, all right, he's he's gonna be able to to nail these. Um, but yeah, it was super super cool, super intimidating. I mean, there's there was some some video footage that I ended up seeing like a couple years afterwards, where I'm like going into the the drum room and instructing him like. Oh, that that was really cool how you how you did this on uh, on the bridge. But um instead of doing it on the hi hat, can we try it on the ride and then do that fill that you did at the end of the course, but do it on this bridge too? I think that'd be really cool. And then he's like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. So it's you know, it seemed like really like smooth and really easy for me to do, but I just remember at the time like, all right, I have to go in that room and like tell Igor like you know, what to play, pretty much, and right. it's, like, pretty crazy.
0: Did you adopt any of, uh, like, his strategies for writing out songs? Have you used any of that, like, moving forward?
1: Yeah, I would, I mean, I would say, like, every record that I, that I work on, I just, I pick up little ideas from everybody that I work with, really, you know? Um, I mean, even just working with AH recently, just... um I've learned from that. I've learned to like maybe let sometimes let like a somebody work on their own a lot more before I jump in with ideas. So stuff like that. Um, yeah, I never used to write out structures, uh, and now I do that. And I, that might have been something that I grabbed from from Igor. So especially like if we're in like a pre-production scenario where everybody's learning the song and it's really fresh and it's hard to remember the structure i'll do that i'll i'll write out the whole structure on a piece of paper for everybody and put in these all li- little notes and references like that to remember each part and i'll put it out like on a music stand or something in front of everybody so everybody knows like oh this the next part is coming up and they could see it on the piece of paper so yeah definitely like learn stuff from all these guys you know
0: so cool Yeah. And, and just to wrap up, uh, this engineering section, is there anyone that like you would really, really like to work with? So you feel like fulfilled? Uh, shit. I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for that one. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. I guess nothing, nothing comes to mind. Um,
0: yeah not really sure yeah that's fine there there's no big deal on that like like you said, you like when people come to you and it makes you more comfortable and and gives you the ability to thrive
1: yeah well, I, it's it's not that I like people to come to me like it's like a like an ego thing or anything it's it's more um that I feel like people if people are, are Coming to me and asking for help with production or whatever, I feel like they know they know um what to expect like they kind of know they've heard from from you know take offense or heard from backtrack or something that like this is this is how he works and this is the kind of what he does he's not gonna ruin all your riffs like you know like he's just gonna you know he like he loves to kind of help you kind of build your song and and um um really focus on you know kinda building these really cool structures and and making the vocals really pop and kinda creating hooks and stuff. So I I think I think that's what I mean that I like when people already kinda know my style or know what I do and so they're not expecting anything different or 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 apprehensive about what I might be um what I might do with when I when I work with them or get in the studio with them. It's kinda like they they just feel more comfortable. Um and I'm not I yeah, I just I don't want to go and sell myself like, you know, to a bunch of bands like, oh I'd love to love to produce your record. That's always been like kind of like a cheesy style or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, let's jump to piece by piece. So you do terror in two thousand two. You also do piece by piece in two thousand two. Uh the demo comes out and do what do you what are you going in here for? Are you writing the songs? Is Corey writing the songs? Who? What's the structure of the band?
1: Yeah, I, I wrote some songs. Corey wrote uh, a few songs also. Um, yeah, I don't. I I just remember wanting to start a band. One of the bands that really influenced piece by piece at the beginning was uh, Striking Distance. I loved. Striking Distance yeah. and I saw uh, Dave Bird, um, I saw Striking Distance play at Ojai and I don't know what year it was or, or what show it was but I just remember like the the kind of pissed off fury behind this like really fast hardcore punk and I just wanted to do something that was like that that just sounded really aggressive and really pissed off and super fast. Um, yeah. So I think a couple of guys like Sean, that, um, I went to high school with and I was, we're, we we kind of built the band together. He's going to play drums. Um, and then our friend, Jeff, Jeff Givens, He'd never been in a band before, and and he didn't really know how to play an instrument, and we kind of taught him how to play bass just so he could be be in the band. Um,
0: yeah, because yeah, he he was a hardcore dude that'd been around for a while, always moshed, you know. so yeah, you, wa- you sure. wanted to just have a hardcore dude in the band.
1: Yeah, and he's just like an unreal character. I mean, he's so f- he's like so funny. He's just like this witty dude. He's. A, He's just he's just so like fun to be around so yeah we're like we, we want Jeff in the band um at the time uh, another guy that I went to high school with a really good friend of mine um uh, Nick, his name is Nick Schultz. he he was on guitar originally and then um so I think we were jamming and and then we wanted we wanted Cory to be in the band uh but we were we weren't sure if he like would would be interested in it and we're cause we're all around the same age. And at the time, even though Corey's only four years older than me or something, I felt like he was like a generation older. So I was, I felt intimidated like even asking him to be in the band. I didn't know if he would be, he would be into it or, or, um or whatever. But you know, luckily he was and, and, and we were, became really good friends and
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it was the five of us at first. And you do the demo and you record it. Um, and then, do you remember the first show? It predates terror, correct? Yeah, I don't remember the first
1: show. Maybe Ojai
0: Women's Club. Because I remember the first terror show, I want to say piece by piece headlined. You guys played after terror, like you had already done a show before and had your demo. Yeah.
1: Out. I think it was either Piece by Piece headline or or Annihilation Time, okay, something like that. But yeah, Yeah. it was yeah Piece by Piece played after Terra Terra's first show, so yeah, it was there was like this period where when when Carry On broke up, where Piece by Piece had already kind of I think we already recorded and we started playing a lot of shows right off the bat. So I think we were playing in very early like 2002 you know from like january to to april like a lot um and yeah so by the time terror played his first show in in april i think we had already d- done a lot and so it would, yes i don't really um yeah so i think you know as weird to say like you're like headlining shows but i think we'd like you know had some pretty good shows so we were, ended up booking some shows where we were playing a little bit higher on the bill or something.
0: Yeah, and it's headlining Pat's warehouse, so you just gotta draw seven. Yeah. (laughs) That's
1: not that's (laughs) not yeah, you're not headlining if you're headlining at Pat's
0: warehouse. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. But no, I mean the demo has like you know, classics on it. You know, so you guys come out the gate like hot. You know, like the Diego Die song is still like a piece by piece hit, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? It's there, and then you come this uh same year oh two with uh the written in blood seven inch on takeover mm-hmm. and uh and this is great i mean i think i think if you're going for like the striking distance like this nails it this like is is right next to it um of being like super fast and aggressive, but like the songs are all classic i mean like if you look at that first striking distance seven inch that's like ten songs, you know, yep. but like the songs don't feel like they're throwaway songs they sound like they're all fucking rad you know? yeah totally and and that's how this is um you know you you do the fast thrashy stuff but then you also like you incorporate like uh a, a little bit of melody just to make it catchy but it doesn't come sure. off like cheesy which is like very very hard to do yeah you know so yeah so yeah no go ahead sorry
1: yeah i was just thinking uh Yeah, I mean, I like, I like melodic hardcore, but I'm very picky with which melodic hardcore I like. So that's always, for me, that's always, it's always a tricky thing when you're starting to write something that's, like, melodic. You're like, oh, if I'm, you know, if we're going in that direction, like, we got to be careful, you know, we got to make sure it's, like, it's actually cool. It's not,
0: you know, not cheesy or or whack sounding. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, how is it like doing a band like that? Where, like, you you come out the gate, you got some heat going, but then like you know, terror is the juggernaut. Is everyone just like kind of accepting and just stoked that like you're going off and doing your thing? Like no one's no one's upset that like piece by piece is kind of like taking the back roll? I don't think so. Uh,
1: I mean, I think I'm, I I might have had a conversation with everybody, kind of like. I'm doing this, I'm going to do this other band with Todd and, um, and everybody kind of just knew like, oh, okay, well, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a more serious thing. I mean, piece by piece was never a serious thing in the first place. So it was, you know, it was just fun, like play shows here and there um, and record things. So I don't, I don't think there was ever any kind of like weirdness, like, oh, like, you know bums that you can't really do the band as much anymore i think everybody was psyched on terror i think all those guys were just there were they were psyched to see what what terror could do so they were you know supportive
0: yeah probably like kind of the same mentality of of how you were just talking about rotting out right like just glad that there's like a flagship la band yeah sure
1: definitely and and like all these guys i mean they i think they knew the potential that carry on had also so when carry on ended um it was just it felt like it was on the brink of carry on really getting a lot bigger and doing a lot more things um so everybody knew how everybody was bummed that carry on had ended and this felt like a progression like almost like picking up where carry on had left off. Like everybody knew, like Tara was kind of going to go out and be full on. Like carry on was planning on being. So I think everybody was excited about it.
0: How do you think that would have gone? Um, do you, do you think that like if Ryan didn't break edge, that carry on would have gone on and been a, like a full-time band like that, like done like terror the first couple of years.
1: One. Well, that, I think for sure, I think that was the plan. Um, I want to say there was even like, there was a European tour in the works that was already had dates. Um, there was tours that were talked about, like, you know, when, when Bridge Nine did the LP, it was kind of like, all right, we're going to do this thing full time. Um, you know, Todd and everybody, they, they asked me like, are you down to, to do this full time? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I think that was the plan. Um, Yeah. And then it kind of, you know, it ended abruptly, at least for me, it was, it was abruptly. I was, you know, I, I still had, you know, had this idea that it was going to go on and, and we were going to do a bunch of stuff and then, you know, we, we played a show and the next day, like, you know, get a call, like the band's done. I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) I was like psyched to go to Europe, psyched to kind of. you know do these things but then yeah so so terror was kind of like it felt like like all the the momentum and the steam that that carry on was kind of building it shifted to that right away yeah like i know that i feel like that's what todd felt like he just he wanted he wanted to do that with with terror because you know
0: it it with carry on it didn't didn't happen yeah sometimes scenes are fortunate enough to like really have that like passing of the torch. Like it's a shame the way carry on ended, but at least like there was like a juggernaut that it kind of got passed to. When you talk about like the, mo- the momentum going, I always think yeah. about like in, like in San Diego built to last was like the, the band for a long time of like kind of holding the scene together. And then yep. right at the end of their, like their time over a body started. So it like, it literally got like passed from one to the other so there sure. was always, like, a flagship band with, like, no fall-off, which is rad yeah. because it's really hard to to get interest in a scene when, like, there's not, like, a flagship band, you know? Yeah, when, there's – exactly. Because yeah, it's hard like to like sell that, something out of nothing, you know? Like, if yeah, there's totally. already 200 kids going to shows, then it's like, well, those 200 kids want to keep going to shows, you know? But to build it out of, like, 15 kids is really hard. yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So, like you said, I think, I think all this happened like it was really seamless. I mean, it's really like I think that last carry on show was in like December of 2001. And yeah. piece by piece was playing shows in like January. And, and then, then Tara was, re- you know, recording our demo probably in like February or March or something like that. And then Tara was playing our first show April. Um, and then I remember ten shows in, we were playing on the East Coast already. So later that I would say June, we played Hellfest in, in Syracuse. Right. So this is all like from six months of like, you know, carry <laughs> on ending to Terra being on the East Coast playing in front of, you know, a thousand
0: people or something. I know. What a roller coaster. I mean it's yeah. it's crazy, especially it happening like, you know, you're you're twenty ish somewhere around that. I was
1: well i was i was 18 when i started playing and carry on i was 19 when terror played played our first show yeah so you're 19 Um, yeah yeah so it was like yeah yeah. i mean i was just i was just psyched uh, you know like i had no expectations i was just kind of like let's play shows let's go to places like i'm down i'm down for whatever that was my mentality you know
0: yeah yeah, I think that piece by piece is so important also because it it gives you confidence in songwriting, right? So like when you actually have to step up in the third tarot P and write it like you know that you have songs under your belt that like can connect with people.
1: I don't know if I did have that confidence. I mean, I guess I guess there might have been something there that um a little bit of confidence that it, maybe I could write a terror song, but it was different. I mean, to me, writing a piece-by-piece piece song was so simple, so, like, like stripped down and, like, nothing, you know? It was just, like, it was more just, like, raw, like, punk, more punk-influenced. You know, when I, when I th- thought about writing, like, a terror song, I'm like, oh, well, there's more technique, guitar technique, trying to match, like, something that Todd would write, like... Sure. ...with, like, the more, like, tremolo picking or... Uh, it's just definitely more riffage, a lot, and it, and it just felt like it was... It felt like it was a lot, a lot different. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I I just... I guess I always, no matter what band I was in, I always... I was always writing or, or contributing to the creative process. So, if, you know, if I was writing a riff, bringing a riff in or writing a whole song. I guess I did that with every band that I was in, even, you know, the kind of earlier, whatever, random punk bands and stuff. So I guess I was always something that I wanted to be a part of. So I guess, uh, just having a little bit of confidence of,
0: of, you know, always doing that with the other bands. Yeah. Super cool. Um, in Oh four, you do your second seven inch. We've lost our minds. And this is on Malfunction. Is Was that True's label? Yeah. True and yeah. Linus. Okay. Yeah. Shout out True and Linus. Yes. Yep. Super, super cool label for a while. And they do the 7-inch and they also do the CD that has the demo and then both 7-inches. And that yep. was that was always like a cool time when like bands, you know, you do a few 7-inches and a demo and then like it all comes together on CD, you know, and you yeah. know the songs like, man, I kind of miss that.
1: You yeah, know? it's kinda like a little mini discography, like even though you've only been a band for like two years
0: or something, you get like all the material on one C D. Yeah, the best was like the Bane one. You know, when they had those three seven inches and then it came out yeah. like on the one the one LP and then the C exactly. D and it was like, yeah. Oh fuck because yeah. like I don't know, it's it's a palatable it's a palatable way to like take in this music that I think is like it's really underrated. Like maybe we would be all better off like getting three songs a year from a band or, like, five songs every couple years, you know? But then you want a way to, like, tie it together in chunks. It's just, man, it's it's daunting. Like, hardcore bands, you know, it's hard when you get out so much material, you know? Like, what if my favorite terror track is, like, the the sixth track on the sixth album? Like, yeah, I'm probably never going to get to hear it live, you know? And it's like, fuck, you want to hear these hardcore songs live.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah no but I agree I mean I th- I think that's one of the things that like is like helped piece by piece in a way that we never really did technically did an LP like mm-hmm. I th- like I think it's it's always I think it's it's easier to write a really energetic EP seven inch something with less songs so it's like I I mean if a band could just do that over and over again it's like you can almost like always come come with something that's really just
0: energetic and kind of hits you in the face and it's done. Yeah, um, yeah. It's so pure because you're you're not like overthinking it. Like, no matter true. how short an LP is, you're always thinking about some sort of like a an arch. Like You got to take them on a journey yeah, in a seven-inch. Exactly. It's just you're blasting them with like your the best stuff you can write. Just one, two, three, four, five, go. Yeah, just raw energy, like whatever you know. Yeah. You know,
1: whatever whatever you come up with that that just that just maintains that energy from
0: start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. So also in '04, this is a this is a busy year for Piece by Piece. Can you do a split with Donnie Brook as well? Yeah. And then do you guys tour with Donnie Brook or did Internal Affairs tour with Donnie Brook? Internal Affairs did. Okay. Uh like a full US with them. Okay.
1: Yeah. This is kind of the point where piece by piece kind of becomes like more of a a side project because it was like, okay, terror's home for a week, maybe we could play a show, mm-hmm. um, you know. Oh, you know, we're we're home for a month, maybe we could throw together some songs and record a record. So yeah, we you know we we definitely like got to the point where we're playing. You know, maybe six times a year or something like that. Definitely not doing any, like, tours. Maybe a weekend weekend trip
0: here and there. Yeah, because it's, it's six years until your next record, you know? Yeah. So, that comes out Yeah, I out mean, terror in- Ter- is just ahead, so sorry. busy. That it's
1: like, yeah, I mean, I guess Terror's is so busy that it's just, it's really, during this period for sure, where it's just, yeah, it's hard to do anything else because
0: Ter- is just gone non-stop right rice but in o10 or in 0 oh, in 2010 you <laughs> come back and you do the uh you do the self-titled 12 inch um for piece by piece and this is sick because it's a 12 inch and the cover sick you know and like the imagery everything is great about it um and this one's wild too because like the the side B you guys branch out a little bit and you you kind of do like some more rock stuff and some of the songs that are in espanol
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Is so I you? think that's like direct. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, nah, is it you singing or is it Edgar? That's me singing on most of it. There's like there's a, there's like a melodic, a melodic part where Edgar sings. Okay. Um, yeah, but I think that was like trying to bring in. Yeah, I mean, I one of my favorite bands ever is Turbo Negro, and oh, yeah. so. I felt like Piece by Piece could be a band that could, that could kind of meld in some of that style and still keep it like pretty punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we started like, I guess we, we had a couple songs that are more like, like rock influenced, I guess, but wanted to keep it really raw. Like, you know, we're not trying to be a, a rock band or anything. We want it to be punk rock at the same time as a little kind of more rock style. And I think also, uh, yeah, like, Edgar and I, like, we always listen to a lot of, like, Spanish-speaking, like, bands. Like, we always love Los Crudos and bands like Brujeria and and just being from L.A. I thought
0: thought you were going to say Maná. But then he came out with uh, well, <laughs> Los those and brayeria. Br- Br- <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do love Manado. That's like definitely a, a band that I'm into. Um, Have yeah, you seen them before? Also, I've never seen them. I, I wanted to see them at the forum. Like this is recently in the last few years, and yeah. I went to like see what the ticket price was, and it was like for the nosebleeds, it was like 200 bucks or something. I was yeah. like, fuck yeah. that shit.
0: Nah, I, w- I went I went last summer. Well, that was the second time I saw them. They were they were great. They played like the outdoor spot in Chula Vista, but I oh, seen wow. them play. I see, I seen them play the arena here in San Diego one year. It was so fucking sick, dude. It was probably like at eight the, years ago. Like at the, the, sports, the sports arena. Sports arena. Oh yeah, that. yeah. It was ill because it was like the day of the show, and of course, like no one wants to go see Mana. Um, and so what I did was I just lowballed everyone on Craigslist. So, like, anyone that was selling, t- selling tickets, I just sent them an email and said, I'll give you 20 bucks for a ticket if you want it. Yeah. You know? And one family got back to me, and they said, like, hey, we had one person flake. Like, if you come pick up the ticket, you can have it for 20 bucks." And I was, like, sick. And you and, went uh, by yourself? Yeah, I went solo and, like, sat with a. family. That's amazing. And, yeah. And it was, like, dude, we were only, like, 25 rows back. It was ill. Wow. Yeah. It, but, was, it was rad because, like, I've gone to huge concerts before, but, like, it's metal concerts, you know. It's like Maiden or something. Yeah. So it's really loud. So it's wild to go to a Maná concert. Like you know, if Maná saying English, we probably wouldn't like him at all. They'd just be a radio band like like U two or some shit, right? Sure. Yeah. And I I love old U two, but like, you know, I'm not that into contemporary radio music. But it's so fun to go because like every motherfucker knows every word, you know, yeah. and they're and they're all singing it, and so it's like. Dude, it is like nothing else. Like cuz like it's literally everyone in the crowd is seeing every word and they're not that loud so you just hear it. It's yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. Well um, they
1: they are kind of like the U, like they're that big. I mean, they're like the U2 of like Spanish oh, yeah. rock, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them at some point for sure.
0: It's worth it, dude. I I mean like, you know, everyone's getting older. I I'd, I'd drop that 200 bucks and go. <laughs> True, like, yeah. It, it's fun for the experience. Plus, people will trip out. Like, when I went that first time, like, everyone was buying me beers. Because, like, they're like, well, how, why are you here? You know? Because, yeah, like, funny. I'm just me, you know? I, like, I stood out like a sore thumb. But, uh... That's, like... That's amazing. I like mom And I can, I can speak a little Spanish. So, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. So, that... I mean, Edgar exposed me to, you know, all these, like, Spanish rock bands. And, um... And... And like he loved brujeria. So we, mm-hmm. we like we jam, we used to jam brujeria all the time. And yeah, and like the more like punk stuff like Los Crudos. And um, so we were like, it just being from Southern California and I mean, you know, it's just like how intertwined like the Hispanic and like culture is mixed into just everything that is like for a band from LA, like it, it, it definitely like, kind of just reflects kind of like where we come from and um yeah so i don't speak fluent spanish i know a little bit and um i had the had the idea to do it and it's funny like edgar edgar's speaks you know he speaks spanish but his spanish is like really like like to translate for him it's tough because he he'll 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 translate it in a way that it's it's like an americanized spanish it's not like it won't sound really authentic or something so i remember we we asked his his younger sister to translate for us so we were like writing lyrics and she at the time i think she was like Fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, or something, so like we interrupted like her doing her homework or something and <laughs> and had her translate all these you know like this is what we want to say and and she's like, oh no, you you can't really say it like this, so she helped us kind of translate everything properly,
0: and yeah, and that was fun, yeah, yeah, I mean, like people you know you just if you don't know Spanish, you just think that like it's a language, but it's a it's a living breathing language like English is, you know it's like And Mexico's huge. It's got a bunch of states and a lot of people speak in different ways, you know, and then let alone like Spain, you know, is like completely different Spanish, even though it's still Spanish. It's like, you know, it's just, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of difference in intricacies and then like the different states in Mexico, they all got different slang, you know, which is pretty wild. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. I thought that was a cool thing you guys did. Um, and then actually the year before that you do another side band. Uh, Wings Beer and Sports. Oh, and shit. Uh, yeah, dude. Well, you put out a seven-inch. just a piece of history. Yeah. Um, you do everything on this record? Uh, the music, yeah. I and think And then so. who sings? Yeah.
1: Fucking everybody. It was kind of like... It was... It kind of... Yeah, it started as we were having parties... At the house that I was renting from my mom. Um, So it was me, Jeff Givens, and this dude, Misha. Misha! A friend of ours. And we just had... Whenever I was home, though, I wasn't on tour with Tara, we were just... We had parties like every day it seemed like and we so yeah a bunch of people would come over there'd be like people would just get bombed I mean I don't drink but I'm like partying with everybody and we had the studio there also so we would we would go in the studio and I would just write something really fast with with program drums and just get everybody to come in and 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 f- pretty much freestyle lyrics over these songs. (laughs) Completely drunk, like, to the point where they're, like... They're probably, like, blacked out. There's plenty of times where we would record something. I would send the track to everybody the next day, and everybody would be like, I don't even remember recording this. Like, I don't remember saying that at all. And (laughs) so it's just, like, this total crazy party caught on tape kind of thing. Um, And it's obviously just meant to be like really you know offensive in some ways just get you know kind of just like piss people off maybe um create this kind of party party vibe um and just have fun i mean we were just we were just having fun and then we would record it and then the songs ended up coming out kind of cool uh so yeah so we ended up uh Releasing the seven inch with a few of the songs.
0: Yeah, it's cool. And then who who was Birds of Paradise Records? Uh, Bo Thompson. Oh, this is a, uh, yeah, yeah. So Donnie Brook,
1: him and Martine were doing it. Oh, cool. But I think it was more Bo was kind of doing most of it or something. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Okay.
0: Then, uh, in 2011, you guys do the side project on SOS, uh, the OU nothing sandwich. Yeah. That's gotta be rad to work with Matt Henderson. Greatest American songwriter ever. Better exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. I totally agree with that statement. Um, yeah, at this point he was, you know, definitely like my idol when it came to, uh, songwriting, um, the style of hardcore that I was into, like, um, yeah he just you know I feel like all the stuff that he wrote he just totally nailed it you know from from AF to to Madball um so he he moved to California I don't know when he moved to California but he lives in Long Beach area and so we we met him and became kind of like just kind of acquainted we would see him at Madball shows or kind of talk to him and um, then, yeah, we just became a little bit closer than he, him and Scott were talking about doing uh, a project together and then I got brought into it. Um, uh, uh, BD from, from hate breed, Scott kind of, um, put it all together. And then Sam Trapkin from trapped under ice also. And yeah, it was kind of just meant to be like a fun thing. Let's all get get together and see, see what we, what we come up with. And obviously it's like super cool to be able to jam with Matt Henderson and, and, and He's like legendary dudes. Um, so yeah, another one of those experiences where you're in the studio working with, with these guys that you look up to and just see how, how they do things and how, um, they come from a, a, another another time where things are done differently and the way they put songs together and the way they think about how how the songs kind of develop. It's just, it was just really
0: cool. Learned a lot from from working with those dudes. Yeah, and super cool record. Glad it came out. Everyone should get that if that uh, snuck under your radar. Oh, um, yeah. In 2013, you guys come back, you do the primitive as fuck 7-inch, and... Uh, <laughs> Man, every song title is got it in there almost, huh? Or yeah. half of them. This is kind of when, uh, for sure, like piece by piece, like the wheels come off a little bit of <laughs> like you guys are just going YOLO style, <laughs> like sure, yeah, like you're just letting it all out now, you know? Um, yeah, it's pretty wild, wild record. What's the uh, what's the thinking of the time? I think like I don't know. I think
1: we came up with the title. And we just laughed about
0: it for like hours. We just well, thought and the, like and the title track is like totally, wor- <laughs> it's fucking sick, right?
1: Yeah, which yeah, it's and to me that's like to me that's like an internal affairs song, you know, like yeah, that was like all right, let's write a, a song internal affairs would write, you know, fifteen seconds, one, mm-hmm. you know, two word, whatever it is, you know, um, yeah, but I I think yeah, we just like is more just like, fuck it, let's just, let's just like, go for it, you know, do something that will make people think like, what, what is going on? (laughs) Um, you know, like, totally kind of like an inside joke to us. But maybe, you know, like, maybe people are thinking that we're serious. But at the same time, like that made it even funnier to us. Like, um, You know, it's just like trying to do something that's super, super raw. Um, I mean, I love shit that is fast as fuck. So we just wanted to do a lot of really fast songs and um, yeah, be be funny, but not really, you know, kind of blatant with it, but also kind of like taking the piss out of people too. Like, you know, are these people serious? Are they trying to be funny or are they not? You know, like that whole thing, like just, just like we loved it. You know, we were like. And to this point, up to this point, even, you know, thinking about, you know, doing other piece by piece records, it's like, I think that became like uh, a blueprint for like future records too. (laughs) like, just the style of piece by piece, just like, just like, fuck it, let's do something wild, something that's like, furious sounding and, and funny in a way, but still try to like, um, record it to where it's done really well so it's not just it's not the whole thing isn't a joke you could put it on and like wow this is like still sounds really good or or, or played tight or whatever but is also just kind of you know halfway like a joke kind of funny but
0: serious at the same time yeah well, and then I mean you got a pop song on it too to to end it right yeah yeah, so at the same time,
1: it's like, all right, if we're gonna do a like a a really clean sounding like more rock, like melodic song, let's put the most kind of semi offensive like crazy lyrics to it, so it doesn't sound like a, uh like we're trying to be a serious rock band, so. Yeah, no, but it's, yeah. it's you
0: having your 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 love of like like you said Turbo Negro and or like the helicopters, you sure know, like and yes yeah. that kind of style is like exactly and so if if you
1: like if you know Turbo Negro and you hear this song and you hear this record I think you get it I mean I think that's a similar thing that they do so that's yeah. you know that's definitely like a you know obviously a big influence for for the band
0: yeah I actually think that you like kind of nail it on the last record. Um, the go die, like the flexi. Sure. Um, Kim war. Like that stuff is hard to explain what it sounds like, but it's, uh, it's fucking cool. Like I would like to hear kind of a band. Like if, I don't know if you put a little more effort in and did something like this as a project, like it could be something really special. Cause it's like, it's kind of like lo fi indie rocking, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's like, man, this is something I could like sink my teeth into, like an LP worth of material. Cool.
1: Yeah that 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 was like a an interesting thing where we it wasn't even really we weren't really sure if it was going to be a um, an actual release or not. Um, uh, Smack Man, who, who plays drums for Piece by Piece, now he he was out in LA, and just the the two of us, we went to. Um, uh, my my uncle actually had a has a studio built in his garage. So this this is before, this is after. I um um I wasn't living at the house where I had the studio built. Um so I didn't have a place to record. Um now I do a lot of like my recording at um a, a friend of mine's place. He has a studio built out in his house. That's actually right down the street um from from my old place. Um but that's where we did like the um the new take offense and um, stuff I've done recently. But so at the time I didn't really have a place to record. So we went to my uncle's studio and we, and we wanted to just do something really raw and we, and um, everybody's recording on, you know, on, on, in Pro Tools now. So we're like, let's, he had a tape machine there. um, So like, let's do it on tape and let's, I want to just like write a song and then, record it like me and smack like I was playing guitar smack man on drums and then um let's finish the song so let's write a song we'll record the drums and guitar live and then and then I'll go and record the bass and maybe another guitar I think there's some songs on that record that only have one one guitar um but then let's actually write lyrics and then record the vocals so um so that's what we did so we recorded one song we wrote it recorded it wrote the lyrics recorded the the vocals and then went back in the room all right let's write another song and we just <laughs> and we we did that five times yeah. and um after that i i dumped everything into pro tools and mixed it in pro tools um mm-hmm. but we recorded it and we sat on it like it just kind of as a cool recording that we did for probably three years maybe even like okay and then we're like, let's release it. It's really cool. Like, we, like whenever we would listen to it, we'd be like, this is, this is really cool. It's like definitely different, um, kind of weird sounding, like certain parts. But we're like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just release it. And I think we were doing some, some, uh, some tours, some small tours and stuff. So let's, let's just put it out. And then we'll have something for when we go play these shows.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's rad. Um, I would like to hear more of this style. I think you got it in you because it, it comes off like your 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 demo. It sounds like you're demoing a style, but I think it's something that could like really work. And and there's nothing else that really sounds like it. Yeah, you know, if you cool. can actually dig into it. But uh, but yeah, it's cool. I this is all I got for your uh your your outside terror stuff. Yeah, and this cool. is a lot of shit, dude. To uh to stretch out two hours of of no terror, um. Do you feel like there's anything that we missed?
1: No, I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, I think during all these years, I mean, I, I think it was just like, I mean, I love, I love being in the studio. I love being creative. I love working on records. If it's not mine, if it's somebody else's record, I just love the experience of like, uh, getting in the studio and and trying to come up with something original or just. Um, Or just helping other people kind of like develop their sound or like um, try to help somebody else kind of like just tune in their their original thing. And I just love the creative process. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's just like so many little things over the years, just all these little recordings and it's cool to to revisit
0: them and, and, you know, talk about them a little bit. Yeah, you feel like you've been well-represented?
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, awesome.
0: Cool, Nick. Thanks so much uh, for doing this. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. All right, sick.